Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Welcome to What a Life with Paul Batura. Paul is a best-selling author, writer, Fox News contributor, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. This is a show about the extraordinary value of every life. It's a show about movers, shakers, and culture shapers. And now, here's your host, Paul Batura. Hey, well, thanks, Dr. Bill. Welcome to the show. Boy, I have to tell you, I am especially excited about this one. From the beginning, you know, this show has been all about focusing on what's true, what's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, if those characteristics sound familiar, it's because it comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul, who said 2,000 years ago that we should be thinking about these things. Now, if those values were important then, they're even more important today. So that's what we're going to do uh, today. That's what we do every week. But today is a special conversation. Why? Well, I'll tell you. I have, a hundred, I have hundreds of books on my bookshelves, but there's only one author whose words have been on my desk for well over 10 years. Make that two desks. My one at Focus on the Family and my desk in my home office here in Colorado Springs. The words are on cardboard placards, and they're titled... Seven Decisions for Success. Now, not seven uh, secrets, not seven uh, tips, seven decisions. You know, my friend uh, Ben Stein once said, the indispensable first step to getting the things you want out of life is this, decide what you want. And the late Jim Rome once said, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you get off on sometimes, what matters most is getting off. You cannot make progress without making decisions. Well, my guest today knows a lot about decisions and a lot about other things, too. In fact, he's been called one of the most influential people in America. His name is Andy Andrews. He's a New York Times bestselling author many times over. He's a speaker, a teacher, a comedian, a business consultant, and he calls himself a noticer. He notices little things because he recognizes and believes that little by little, a little becomes a lot, and he realizes that everything affects everything else. Well, Andy, what a treat to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Oh, Paul, I'm honored to be with you, buddy. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, hey, listen, I run every week. uh, I've run every day, and I listen to your podcast, and of course I've read your books. Um, There's so many things we can talk about. Uh, The Seven Decisions, Wisdom Harbor, your new Life Skills Project, your podcast, Alabama Football, your wife Polly, (laughs) your son's your son's knife business. But I thought, let's start at the beginning. Now, you have a dramatic story. It's a life turn that changed everything for you. But back in Dotham, Alabama. Now, I grew up on Long Island in New York, so we were a little far away from each other. It's right away, right right next to Dotham, <laughs> Alabama. Yeah. We have water in common, maybe. But <laughs> there's a candy, there was a candy store in our town called Howie's. It was run by a guy named Howard Herman. But his father was named Herman Herman. Now, is, it, is, your, is your given name Andrew Andrews? No, it's Andy Andrews, and I don't even have a middle name. How about ah, that? How about, okay. Well, tell me a little bit about your childhood. I mean, what, what's your earliest childhood memory? I love asking this question because I think it tells a lot about where you came from. You know, my earliest childhood memory is 
being in the kitchen with my mom and dad. And I I had a I think a great childhood. Uh, you know, I I was probably uh an odd little kid. My parents probably thought so because I I would think parallel to to m- most most people's thoughts. I, I, you know, I would see what everybody saw and I would hear what everybody heard. It would just mean something different to me. You know, I, I remember my mom saying uh, when when you know, don't play with those arrows, they'll poke your eye out, or don't play with that stick, it'll poke your eye out. And I, I'm a little kid, but I'm thinking you can't poke your eye out with a <laughs> stick. You could poke it in. You know, poke right. it out, you got to run it up through your nose, up like that. Then that made perfect sense to me. And I was kind of a uh, a smart aleck to myself, though. I was. I was smart enough not to say things out loud because, you know, when you grow up in Alabama, your parents believe in spankings. And so I, I remember my dad getting on to me one time and saying, when, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, Abraham Lincoln had a job. And when Abraham Lincoln was your age, Abraham Lincoln walked 12 miles through the snow to get to school. And I didn't say it out loud, but I remember thinking, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was president, right? So, <laughs> But I... You know, there are things that you don't really say out loud. You just think to yourself. But but it was a, a fun childhood. My dad was funny. My mom was sweet. My dad was a, a minister of music at at a big church in Dothan, Alabama, at First Baptist, actually. And and I had a little sister and really had a, a pretty normal, good childhood. And everything went swimmingly until I was 19. And that's when, as you mentioned, I had a, a real turn in my life. My Both my parents died in the same year. My mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident that same year. And so I, but I've, I've always had the ability to take a bad situation and make it worse. And, and, and I did. I made some bad moves and ended up literally homeless before that was even a word. Mm. You know, uh, Paul, 35 years ago, nobody was talking about homeless people. That wasn't a term anybody used. But I I found myself sleeping under a pier on the Gulf Coast and in and out of people's garages, which is not safe or smart. But there you go. Wow. Well, I mean, to, to lose both parents at such a young age and then so tragically, I mean, for I, I, did you lose your mom first? Yeah, my mom uh, passed away first, and and it was you know obviously two <clears throat> two situations. You you know one, my mom had multiple surgeries, and this was over the course of several years, and so we knew that that was coming. And and then with my dad, it was a call in the middle of the night. Mm. What what before? I mean, you're 19 when this happened, I think, right? You're right, nineteen. What, what were you planning to do with your life uh, prior to that? I mean, if you know your happy family in Alabama, what was the big plan for Andy Andrews? Well, I w- I went to school. I was going to be a veterinarian. Hmm. So actually, I wanted to be a veterinarian and a taxidermist, so I could say either way you get the dog back. <laughs> but I, that was that was my plan. But organic chemistry got in the way. Life got in the way, and. And when mom passed away, I I left school. And so people, sometimes people say, really, you quit school? No, I didn't quit. I left. When you, when you quit, you sign stuff and you tell people. And 
I just left. <laughs> yeah. like, where, where's that kid? Kind of faded uh, away. And so I was just trying to take care of my dad and my sister, and and then you know the the, the car accident happened with my dad and. My sister was 14 at the time. We moved her in with my grandmother. We, I had one grandmother, and we didn't realize that she was getting Alzheimer's at the time. That wasn't a word either. But but it was a it was a crazy situation. Now, your mom and dad being so involved at First Baptist, I'm sure, left a big impression on you. Um, you know, you're you're you kind of grew up to be an entertainer of sorts, but. How, how how do you see that? I mean, in terms of the things your parents impressed upon you, things you may you know, have picked I, up from them. I, I grew up in a church, and while it was a Baptist church, I I look back and I see that the the places that my dad and mom served were very non denominational in their practice. Um, you know the the denomination wasn't as important as Jesus was important mm-hmm. and and so i grew up understanding the concept of principles that that there were principles that had been established that if we were to learn those principles and harness those principles that you know life itself went along more smoothly, and and so I accepted Christ as a as a teenager, as a as a young teenager, and and uh, you know the the only really I guess crazy time that I had with God was that time under the pier. Mm. Well, I want to get to that, but I, let me don't jump too far ahead. I want to ask about your. Childhood a little bit. I mean, you who who would you say were your childhood heroes growing up? Bear Bryant, definitely. Uh-huh. And you know, Bear Bryant. And then um, there was a uh, there were singers. You know, Christian singers. You know, Bill and Gloria Gaither were really strong on the scene at that time. And and uh, Bill and Gloria. Were were heroes of mine. My parents would uh, play their music, and the choirs would do their music, and and so I I grew up with this mystery about Bill and Gloria Gaither, and and I, I had never met them, but um, I heard my parents talk about mm-hmm. them all the time. I heard their music all the time, and then. Years later, they're they're friends of mine. I still <laughs> pinch myself every time I'm around Bill and Gloria, and I know my parents are in heaven just laughing because I'm friends with them. Yeah, if you haven't heard, uh, I'm talking with Andy Andrews. Uh, he's the New York Times bestselling author. Uh, I'm Paul Petura. This is What a Life, Lessons from Legends. If you have not heard Andy Andrews' interview with the Gaithers, I think you may have had them on your show a few times. Is that right? I, I have. I have. They're, they're good friends and very wise, wise people. You know, I, Andy, I have a friend uh, that I work with at Focus on the Family. She's a single gal. She's in her, I guess she maybe she wouldn't be a fr- uh, too mad at me for saying this. I think she's about 50, single, never married. She has a bit of a crush on uh, on Bill Gaither. You know, the, she she needs to get in line because <laughs> there are a lot of ladies that have a crush on Bill. He's 87 now, 
and he is not slowing down. This is an awesome, awesome guy. <laughs> and, you know, I would be one of the one of the guys who has a, has kind of a crush on Gloria. <laughs> Gloria, I've I have said for a long time, she is probably the wisest woman uh, I have ever had the opportunity to be around. I've got a great picture in my uh, office of Gloria holding her grandchild and they're in our backyard and and she is sitting in a in a swing, a porch swing. And she's holding her grandbaby, and my wife is sitting on the floor there in front of Gloria and listening to Gloria. And it's just, I, it's just an inspiring picture wow. for for my whole family. Yeah. That, you know, there's mom listening to listening to Gloria. There's something sweet about uh, people of our generation uh, connecting with people of our parents' generation. You know, people that my parents adv- admired or even knew. Um, maybe there's something of that that adds a little sweetness to that relationship there re- that you there, have. There really is. It, and, you know, I've done a lot of work on on what's happening with character in America. And 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 so to to look at that generation and, and I also I, I will admit, Paul, that, that sometimes I will look at some of my parents' contemporaries and it's kind of a shock to me because my my mom and dad, my mom uh, passed when she was 42 and my dad when when he was 44. And so when I meet their contemporaries now and they're, you know, in their late 80s and they're a little stooped and have white hair and I, I still think of my parents like they were when they passed away. Mm, forever young, sort of kind yeah. of like Princess yeah. Diana a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's get the, the pier. I mean, living under, I mean, I guess if you have to live under a pier, Alabama's not a bad one to live under, <laughs> you know, a little weather's not so bad except in the summer. I'm curious, you know, as you mentioned, homelessness was not really a thing back then. People didn't even have a word for it. Probably, you know, we used to call people like vagrants or bums or something along those lines. Now, when you look at a homeless person or maybe I even ask this this way, how how do you respond, react to someone who's homeless today, knowing that you were there once? Well, the number one feeling I have is a mixture of compassion and hope, because I know that this person can get out of that situation. I had... Uh, you know, one time I was in New York and doing a television show, and this uh, this media person it seemed very doubtful of everything that came out of my mouth. They said, uh, "They said, so you really think that anybody can live a good life?" And I said, uh, "Yes." So you really think that anybody can can create a successful life? And I said, "Yes, I do." Mm. And he says, what, what about the guy in the ditch? Can the guy in the ditch create a successful life? And I said, well, I, I'll give you two points to that. The, the answer is yes, but the first point is I know the answer is yes because I was the guy in the ditch. Hmm. And the second part of the answer is you seem to assume that I, I am saying that the guy in the ditch can be a success and live a successful life immediately. 
But the guy in the ditch can be successful when he changes. There is a change. You know, there's an immediate change that somebody can make as a choice. And then there are gradual changes as as people accept the knowledge of principles and how to live, how to get along with other people, how to attract opportunity, and how to become valuable to other people. And so, so yes, that person, you know, sometimes people ask about that, you know, what advice would I have for homeless people? And my, my, my immediate thing that comes to mind is move south, <laughs> uh, you know, because I'm like, really, you're going to stay up there in that cold weather? And and the other thing is, go to a small town. I mean, don't don't be among a, a, a hundred thousand homeless people. You know, go to a small town. The churches will compete to help you mm. <laughs> if you're the only person in town like that. That's the church doing its job, right? That's what the church right. is, is here for. So you're you're under the pier, and you're you know obviously churning inside. I mean, you've had devastating loss, and you meet this man that sounds almost mythical, almost fictional, but he was a real man. His He's name, a real guy. His name was Jones, right? His name so, was Jones. We would see him in and out of town. We never knew where he. We never knew where he went when he left town, and we never knew where he stayed when he was in town. We we didn't know how old he was, Paul. We would we would look at him, and sometimes we'd go, "Is he eighty or one hundred and eighty? We weren't really sure. And and he had very brown skin, but we weren't really sure if that was a pigment or uh, the sun. And we didn't know what he carried in that suitcase. He always had with him. He never let us touch it, never let us carry it. But he was the first person ever to to tell me the truth about myself. And when when I say that, you know, some I, I see people kind of cock their head a little bit and like, you know, what does that mean? Well, when we meet somebody having a tough time, wh- what do we do? We we give them $5, we buy them a meal, we put them on the prayer list, but but very rarely do we sit down with them and tell them things about themselves that might make them angry at us. And that's kind of what he did. <laughs> People say, really, he made you mad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty much constantly. But where am I going? You know, I'm living yeah. under a pier. So he, he shows up and he, in and out. You don't see him every day. You see him from time to time. I mean, what what's something he told you? Well, that very first... That very first time he showed up, I, he was under my pier and scared me to death. You know, it was kind of dark under there. It was a, a concrete slab pier, and so there's cracks every 10 feet, and the sodium vapor bulbs up above the pier are shining in the cracks. So it was kind of creepy under there, I suppose. And, and you know, when you go under your pier and you're getting in at 12 or 1 o'clock after, after I... It worked most of the day because I, you know, people think if you're living under a pier, you're kind of a bum. But I was, I was not a bum. I was working. I was, I was cleaning fish. I was uh, washing boats. I was selling bait. And I, you know, the the homeless thing. I tell people there was no pathology there. I wasn't addicted to anything. I, I wasn't drinking. I just didn't have any money. 
and I didn't have any, there was no net. There was, you know, my mm. parents were gone when I, when I left school, um, everybody kind of went nuts. They were just like, you know, you're ruining your life. You're making a horrible decision. And there were, there were actually friends of mine whose parents forbid them to be around me because wow. I was a, supposedly a horrible example because I'd left school. And then, and so then, uh, when my dad died, I had, uh, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of life insurance on ministers back then. I don't know about now, but, but, uh, mm-hmm. I got $2,500 and being the financial genius that I was, I spent the entire 2,500 on a trailer. Um, and it never even occurred to me that I'd have to pay somebody to move it somewhere or pay somebody to put it somewhere. And, and so I, at first I had a car and a trailer and then I had a motorcycle and a trailer. And then I had a motorcycle and a tent. Then I had a tent. Then I was under the pier and that's kind of how that rolled out. But the, the idea of under that pier and then Jones appearing one night, we didn't call him Mr. Jones. Everybody just called him Jones. And, and so he appeared that night and scared me just being there. But he, he asked for a Coke and he said, he said, can I have one of those Cokes you got in that ice chest there? And I said, how do you know what I have in my ice chest? And he said, well, what else would you put in a nice chest? <laughs> and so I I tossed him a Coke, probably threw it a little harder than I should have, but he caught it and smiled. And and he he started talking. He knew my name and and said, so, you know, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm not here because I want to be. And he said, he said something. I can't remember exactly what he said. He said something about God. And I said, yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks, God. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, you know, grew up with that, hearing that thing about God will put a man after his own heart where mm-hmm. he wants him to be. So, you know, thanks. You put me under a pier. Mm. And And he said, well... You know, I have an idea that you might be exactly where you're supposed to be. And I said, well, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore anyway. And he said, well, that's okay. He still believes in you. Mm. And I just kind of stared at him and he said, look, I know that you don't want to be here. And I know that sounds strange when I say you might be where you're supposed to be, but just know that when you lay your head on this sand tonight, you'll be sleeping on fertile ground. Hmm. And so I, you know, he, he left that night. A couple of nights later, he was back and he gave me three books, gave me uh, three biographies. And he just kind of sat around and talked and he gave me these three biographies, and I, I didn't really particularly like biographies. I don't know why. I guess it may be because they made me read them in school. But I, I was always I was more of a Sports Illustrated field and stream type person. And 
But he gave me three biographies, and I knew they were biographies because they were hardbacks without the dust cover, and they had um, names on them. It was Winston Churchill, George Washington Carver, and Will Rogers. And and I I said, biographies? And he said, no, no, these are adventure stories. Mm. These are mysteries and romances and thrillers, and they're true. And I said, oh. He said, yeah, they're from the library. When you get through them, take them back. <laughs> so I started reading Churchill that night, not really because I even wanted to or I, I didn't intend to read the whole thing, but I knew I knew he would ask me, you know, and I and I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I'm I'm reading the Winston Churchill one, and because I, you know, he's the only person paying any attention to me. Yeah, we're and, gonna we're gonna have to take a break, and when we come back, Andy, I want to hear the the rest. This is the beginning of the the your national bestseller, right? And yeah, the, and this yeah. is this is the the components. We're talking with Andy Andrews. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's the author of the many books. Uh, the one that you may know him best from is The Traveler's Gift. And he's been talking about Jones. And when we come back, I want to talk to him more about Jones and who he really thinks he was and who maybe sent him. And then more about uh, Andy's remarkable uh, life. And uh, this is Paul Batura. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after these messages. Well, welcome back to What a Life. I'm Paul Batura. And uh, boy, we've had the treat uh, of talking with Andy Andrews today. Andy is New York Times bestselling author, The Traveler's Gift, The Noticer, uh, dozens of books, children's books as well. He's a corporate speaker. Uh, You've seen him on Good Morning America. Uh, Maybe you listen to his podcast. If you don't, you should. It's a weekly dose of inspiration. And uh, Andy, thanks for joining us, uh, hanging on here. And we've been talking about um, really the origins of The Traveler's Gift and specifically your interactions with Jones. And as, as I listen to Jones and the wisdom and knowing what's in the ice chest and, and knowing your name and, and his kind of mysterious, mystical presence, I, I can't help but ask, do you think he was an angel or do you think he was something else? You know, I, I, being totally honest, I, I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I I have people ask me a lot of times they say so what what was Jones and because if you if you hear the story I've written 3 books about the man now you know there's the noticer the noticer returns and then just Jones and the first chapter in the noticer is that's exactly how this happened I mean exactly mm-hmm. and and I I I have people ask me, you know, who do you think he was? What do you think he was? And and I'll ask them. I say, well, what do you think? And and I hear um, that he's an he's an angel, and and I think that's a good possibility because, you know, in in Hebrews thirteen, Hebrews thirteen two, I think it says, don't forget to be kind to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And then another another great thought to me is that that this Jones is an example of how the Holy Spirit manifests himself to help people and to guide people at certain times. But I will tell you this, um, ever since I wrote that book, 
we hear from all over the world people telling me, uh, you know, I saw him, I I met him, he wow. sat next to me during this time, he bought me lunch. I, I mean, it's kind of shocking. The book's in 40 languages now, and we hear all over the world all the time. Mm. That's terrific. And and I'll tell you, I... That book, The Traveler's Gift, which I want to now we're going to I want to jump jump into that because that's obviously where I was introduced to you. My friend Scott, uh, I just texted with him earlier this morning. I told him we'd be talking. He said that that book continues to be the book he gifts more than any other book. And um, he gave it gave it to me. And uh, that's where I was introduced to you. And it really came at a pivotal time in my life. Andy, I was I was working at Focus on the Family, but I was sort of nervous about jumping into a more public writing posture. And, and that's when you gave me the courage to approach Paul, wow. Paul Harvey. Wow. And, I, and I wrote Paul Harvey's biography really thanks to you. You know, it was sort of, you know, look as your seven decision says, you know, the buck stops with me and I, yeah. it, it's up to me. Of course I trust the Lord and he guides me. I can only do so much, but it has impacted me in significant ways. That book though, that I held in my hand, and listened. I loved listening. I love your narrations of your stories. If you're, if you're out there and you want to get Andy's books, go buy the books, but also download by the narrations because it's they're fantastic for trips. But that book, boy, that almost didn't come to be, right? You tell yeah, tell tell the story about how I mean, hard you know, it was. First of all, it was those those biographies that he started me reading, and I I got hooked on them, and I I got to thinking of them as like. You know, wow, there's a romance, and wow, there's a mystery, and ah, there's the thriller. And I realized I was thinking that because Jones had said it, but I also realized I was legitimately thinking it. And so I, I ended up reading over 200 biographies of these happy, influential, godly, financially secure uh, great people. I, you know, I'm reading books about great people, which when I say that makes me think, do they do books of any other kind of people? <laughs> it's like not a, not a loser section on Amazon, is there? But I, I would read these books thinking, what is it about these people? What what did God put in them? Is, were they born this way? Because if they were born this way, I knew I was out of luck. But if it was something they did, what did they do? And how long did it take them to do it? And I, I identified these seven things. That, and and I, I finally realized they were principles. There were seven principles. A decision is a principle that you harness. And so these were seven decisions, seven principles. And, and as I looked at these lives, I realized are the, these seven things are, I'm not sure they all knew they had them. They, they all seemed to understand two or three and harness those two or three. And we could see the seven with the passage of time, looking at their entire life. I just wasn't sure they knew they had all seven. But I, I thought, what happens to somebody who knows all seven? What happens to that life? What happens to a child whose parents know all seven and begin to teach all seven and imprint those seven principles, the seven decisions in the life of that child? And so long story short, those were the seven decisions that I started using to pull myself out from under the pier. And years later, they became the basis for the story, The Traveler's Gift, which is a a story about a family going through a tough time and the dad gets to travel through time 
meeting with seven historical figures who are also going through a tough time in their own life. He gets to be with Anne Frank in the annex and talk with her and question her and, and gets to be with Lincoln at Gettysburg and King Solomon right after he says, bring me the sword and I'll tell you whose baby this is. And so each of these seven historical figures give this man a different decision, a different principle that if he puts it in his life, things will change. And that's the mm. story of the traveler's gift. But you're right. It almost didn't happen because I couldn't get it published. I, I mean, and when I'm saying it was turned down by publishers, I'm not saying it was turned down by 10 or 12 publishers. Over three and a half years, 51 publishers turned down the manuscript. 51 publishers said what I had written was not worth putting on paper. Hmm. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I hope people who are listening to not everybody is an author, not everyone's trying, but there's something in your life that you're struggling to do and you want to do it and maybe you want to give up. I mean, listen to this. This is a New York Times bestselling author who was turned down 51 times, but you had a nick or a knack for finding the right people and you spoke to the publisher's wife, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember thinking, man, is there anybody more powerful than a publisher? And and just like that, the thought came into my head, yes, a publisher's wife. And and so I, w- I was at a, a, an event that Thomas Nelson was doing, and I managed to get at the table that Mike Hyatt was – he was the chairman of the board of – of Thomas Nelson Publishers, and you know, of course, they had already turned down the book, and and so I'm at the table, and I I realize, yeah, there's somebody more powerful than a publisher, a publisher's wife, and so I'm I'm there, and I just knew, manners just says that somebody's going to ask you, what have you been doing, and she did, she said, so Andy, what have you been working on, and. I said, I've been working on a on a, a, a story about a, a family going through a tough time. The dad gets to travel through time, meets with, with King Solomon and Anne Frank and Harry Truman, and each of them give him a decision that when he puts it in his life, things will change. And she <laughs> says, wow, that sounds interesting. I would love to read that. And I said, I have a manuscript in the car for you. And everybody kind of laughed. And I said, but it's just for you. It's not for him. <laughs> and everybody laughed again. And so then I found out later, they stayed up all night reading it. Well, she stayed up all night reading it. He stayed up all night because she was jabbing him going, listen <laughs> to this part, listen to this part. And a week that. later, you know, we we had the book accepted. But the, but the end of that story is so fascinating to me because the book that nobody wanted – uh, ended up, uh, Good Morning America named it one of the five books you should read in your lifetime. Wow. That's amazing. And, and you know, it's so, but I, but I also, I also remember that time of just questioning and wondering and waiting. And when they announced, when they held up, uh, the Traveler's Gift on Good Morning America, Diane Sawyer held it toward the camera, and she said, this is a book America needs at this time. Hmm. And it just sent shills on me because I thought, wow, at this time, God's timing was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, we had not been through nine eleven when that happened. It was a book America needed at this oh. time. And it continues on. People... 
using it. Pastors use it to to preach from, and and schools use it. It's in 2,500 public schools, and people say, well, how can a book like that be in public schools? Well, I write books that Christians can give to their non-Christian friends that they'll actually read that create conversations between non-Christians and Christians. And so when this book ends up in a school, the teachers who are Christians, they understand exactly where it comes from. Yeah, God But has... the non-Christians feel like it's just a good story. Yeah, the book is The Traveler's Gift. That's just one of many, many, many books that uh, our guest today, Andy Andrew, Andy Andrews, has written. I'm Paul Batura. This is What a Life, Lessons from Legends. We're talking about with a legend, a publishing legend who ha- who writes about legends. And I'm curious, and- Andy, now knowing now what you know, uh, you know, we grow as writers, we grow as communicators. Is there any other decision that you wished, if you were writing the book now, you'd put in the book? Or is there any other figure in history you wish you had put in the book? Well, I, I wrote a sequel to it, uh, and it's called The Traveler's Summit. And for a long time, I said I was not going to write a sequel because I thought, what well, you know, what are you going to do? Send him seven more places? That just <laughs> seems kind of hokey. And and I, but I, I was, I feel like I was given the opportunity to explore something more with that same concept, and and it was, and so the Traveler Summit is is David Ponder as an old man, and Gabriel, one of the seven that he visits, the Archangel Gabriel comes to him and says, God's not pleased, and and he is calling all the travelers from all of history together into one place at one time, and they will be given the opportunity to answer a question. And so Gabriel poses the question to them, and they're given rules for how how they do that. And so I was able to use a lot of these people from those 200 biographies. Mm. And, you know, because when I wrote the first book, it was a really – a kind of a struggle for me to determine whether I wanted to use Abraham Lincoln in The Traveler's Gift or Winston Churchill. And so in the second book, I was able to use them both. Ah, I love that one, too. I, I enjoyed that. And I, if I recall, you mentioned I, I grew up a big Norman Vincent Peale fan. Uh, my, yeah, my, yeah, 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 yeah. My father would hire him. Uh, my father was a, a pharmaceutical guy and hired him to speak at conventions. And so he became kind of a, a legend in our home, but it was fun to see wow. him show, show up in your book. You know, that's uh, nice. Paul, to have you have you have you read uh, my book, The Heart Mender? I, that's one I have not read yet. Okay, well, that is my favorite book I've ever done. Ah, well, I better put the, it. Okay, yeah, the the Heart Mender, and it's uh, it's a story that will blow your mind, and the theme of the the whole book is forgiveness. And so it is also a book that gets a lot of play in public schools, and they're making a movie out of that book. Wow. Well, that's thank you for that. That's on my list now. We have summer left, and uh, if, if you've listened, you're listening, go out and get that book. That's uh, Isn't that decision number six, right? I will greet today with a forgiving spirit. Yeah, yep. Andy, you've, in addition to writing, you, you travel the country, you speak, you've spoken with uh, in front of all kinds of corporations— but you've also counseled U.S. presidents, and I'm not looking for you to divulge any, you know, you, you obviously have en- enjoyed the favor of these gentlemen, 
What's that like, though? What's that like to be summoned to talk with leaders of that stature, of that position, of that influence? At first, it was nerve-wracking. Um, at first, it was. I, You know, I... I used to have people say to me, wow, you have been a quite a success. And, and I always felt uncomfortable with that tag because I, I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know how much of a success I've been, but I, I feel like God has put me in a position to influence success. I, I you know, I've been, I sat in Bob Hope's backyard with him by the swimming pool for three hours <laughs> one afternoon. And, I was with uh, General Schwarzkopf and and his son. Spent a lot of time with the general and his son before his son went to college. And walked the last fairway with Nancy Lopez before she retired. And I just you know I've I've worked with a, a lot of people, and so I find now that they have the same fears and the same desires sometimes the same emptiness that we experienced at one time mm. and a lot of times they don't they don't know why and so i'm able to to bridge that gap and and i think a lot of it is because of what i do i have a company called creatingmeasurableresults.com that i work with with big corporations and we do it at a very a very, you know, re- reasonable price. I, everything I do, I actually do at the at the lowest point that I can still stay in business. Mm. But but creatingmeasurableresults.com has given us a, an amazing entree into big companies at a low cost, and we've helped a, a bunch of them double and triple and to, to expand their influence with their employees and with their customers and so creating measurable results.com is a big part of my life and then wisdomharbor.com is is a huge part of what God has me doing right now uh i you know wisdomharbor.com our our stated goal is creating the next greatest generation starting with your hometown and your school systems and so for years, I I questioned, how did that happen? How did the greatest generation happen? What, how, you know, how did our country, uh, you know, make a rise toward character for 150 years and then peak at that group of people, and then our nation has been declining in character ever since? How did that happen? And I've finally decided that number one. The greatest generation, the people we call the greatest generation, don't really deserve that title. I think the greatest generation, that title should go to their parents and Mm. their teachers and the adults in society at that time. These people who raised an entire generation of kids to be something that we look back 80 years and say, that's the best we ever were. And so my question then became, how did they do it? What did they do? Because people say, well, we don't agree on anything now. Hey, listen, in the 1930s, when those moms and dads and and people in town, teachers were 
raising those kids. They were Democrats and Republicans, too. They were Christians and atheists and Baptists and Catholics and Methodists and black and white and brown and red and yellow. And they didn't agree on anything either, but they did manage to come together over the idea that they wanted the best for their children. And the best is one thing. It's one thing. There can be different categories, but the best is one thing. The best is like the truth. It's one thing. It's foundational. Mm -hmm. And so you can find the truth and just sit with it and never accomplish the best. But if you want to accomplish the best, you'll never do it without the truth. Wow. Well, that's profound. I mean, to talk about, I mean, that's counterintuitive thinking, Andy, and that's what makes your book so unique and your stories and your storytelling so provocative uh, to think that uh, the greatest generation, we should be crediting their generation with preparing them and, and positioning them. That's that's fantastic. And I hope people are listening to that and hearing that. That, um, that, that makes- And this is what we're this is what we're doing with WisdomHarbor.com. It's very inexpensive. It, it goes into schools and then spreads across the community. And it's these are these are uh, little video snips and and audio and you know a harbor is a safe place and a harbor has docks and this has an audiobook dock and a writer's dock and a and a and a musician's dock and a betcha didn't know dock and an in other words dock and a how do I dock and so there's all kinds of things and this this material is delivered by Grammy winners and comedians and CEOs, Bill and Gloria Gaither are are uh, contributors to Wisdom Harbor. Um, uh, who I there's so many Gordon Moat and uh, just so many Julie Julie Richard, who is the CEO of Fearless Mom, a Bible-based uh, children's thing for for parents out of Austin, Texas. But this is done in such a way that it goes into public schools. And again, like my books, the people who are Christians understand where some of this material comes from. And to the others, it's just a good story. And we have different, uh, different. there's Gen Z, there's baby boomers, teachers, and and this stuff is so interesting. And we're putting the whole town on the field, mm. whole teams <laughs> The whole town, just like it was back in the 30s when a kid couldn't do something on one side of town and get to his mama before his mama would find out because <laughs> everybody he passed knew him. Everybody who passed knew his name. And if, if, if you can let me talk for three more minutes, Paul, I can tell you a huge, uh, a, a huge thing that I noticed that wisdomharbor.com is, is, in the the play of making this happen. When we were kids, we wanted to be adults. We wanted to sit at the big table with our parents. And what would our parents tell us? They would say, you can sit here as long as you're quiet, but if you call attention to yourself, you're going to bed. 
And so we would sit there and we would listen to them talk and they would forget we were there and we would hear them talk to to people that some of the people we knew they didn't really like or didn't really agree with. And we listened to them on the front porch. We would be in the back seat listening on trips to our moms and dads talk and to our dads talk to their friends and mom talked to her friends. And somewhere along the line, this turned into the mother coming into the adult table and saying, I've got the kids in the playroom. I got a movie on. They've got food. I shut the door and I told them if they come out, they're going to bed. And then they get in the back of the car. This is going to be a four-hour trip. Here's your headphones. Here's the screen. Mm. And we've got a couple of generations that have grown up not knowing how to have conversations. And we've got adults that don't know how to talk to kids anymore either because they say, how was school? Fine. Well, what happened today? Nothing. Well, come on. Something happened. Mom, nothing happened. I'm telling you. You ask me this every day. Nothing happened. Okay. They don't know what else to talk about. Mm -hmm. WisdomHarbor.com creates conversation between adults and young people. And our goal is to create the next generation, the next greatest generation, starting with your hometown. Well, that's fantastic, Andy. Thank you for that. And and please check that out. WisdomHarbor.com, AndyAndrews.com. Uh, Amazon, anywhere you buy books, you need to pick up Andy Andrews' books. Andy, when you're talking, I'm thinking of the uh, famous Norman Rockwell photo uh, photo of painting of that girl at the top of the stairs listening in on her parents' holiday party. Yeah. Remember that? That that kind that just what came to my mind when you're talking about the yes. the value of listening to the next generation. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that, and uh, thank you, Andy. I hope I could do this again sometime. I hope to make it down to Wisdom Harbor Studios someday and shake your hand. And But for now, the Salem Media uh, Network is so grateful to have you on the show, and, and I'm so grateful to get to finally connect with you. Buddy, I'm honored. We are lucky to have you on the air and very blessed, and I appreciate it. And please do make it down sometime, and let's continue our conversations well my wife is from the south and she would love nothing more than that so thanks (laughs) thanks so much thanks for listening to what a life with paul batura let him know what you're thinking follow paul on twitter at paul batura or you can reach out to him on email at paul at paulbatura.com most importantly live a life that emulates the admonition of the apostle paul whose teachings are the inspiration for this show writing to believers at philippi paul urged them Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We'll see you next time on What a Life. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.